All right, Bam, you, you managed to beat Eve here. What else is new? Yeah. How we doing? Good. Yeah, happy Friday. Happy long weekend. I did not watch any of yesterday's game, so um, I can't comment on uh, on the heat. I, I don't think they're going to pull Yankees and, and blow a 3-0, but it's sure, from, from what I've heard, and I have a friend of mine who's a big Heat fan, and he's, he's definitely nervous. So last night was the obvious they're going to get the shit kicked out of them game. Yep. It was just like the, the Boston crowd was just too raucous right away. It was like a frenzy. Boston couldn't miss. All of a sudden, you look up, you're already down 15. Right. The game, the game was over. Miami knew it was over. The uh, Celtics knew it was over. Barkley, Shaq, and Kenny knew it was over. And ba- Miami better win Game Six, or they're fucked. And I would say the one thing that you have to be concerned about if you're a Heat fan is this is back-to-back games now that Jimmy Butler did not look good, and he's gonna have to bring it because if that if that goes back to Boston, they are gonna win that series. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because the Celtics had, I think, had lost for two straight years every single home game five until yesterday, and and obviously they obviously they flipped the they flipped the script, but you know, I could totally see them just because I think the Celtics team at its core is relatively gutless. I could see them winning Game Six. And being in a nail biter in Game Seven, where it could go either way. I mean, we saw. I mean, I, I think it gets totally uh, put under the radar. But I mean, the the Celtics collapsed in what was it, Game Seven last year in Miami, or was it Game Six? I forgot which game it was. The the final game of that series. I mean, that was going to be one of the biggest collapses in NBA playoff history. Last and, year. Yeah, last year when Jimmy missed the three. I got to be honest, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Celtics were up by as much as, I think, 10 or 12 with about two or three minutes left, and Jimmy had to oh, go on at three right, minutes. right, 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 right. Yes, I remember now. Yeah. So, it's, you know, the, I mean, the Celtics team is 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 not one to close. So, it's interesting that now, obviously, they're in the, they're in the other spot. But, yeah. you know, if there was going to be a, a, a team to come back 3-0, this is the type of scenario, though, like, they have – like they had the home games on their side down 3-0 and they're better. They are better than Miami, like talent for talent, player for player. They they're better than the Heat. They're not better coached, they're not grittier. And they weren't playing their best basketball. But right. it does feel like maybe they kind of found like their rhythm and their groove back in that game 4. The series is now going longer, so like their comfort level with what Miami's doing and the physicality that they need to bring, maybe they've kind of found it. I like I don't see how Boston loses a game here if Butler's not the best player on the floor in either of them. Right. Uh and now we got we got even here. Um Yeah, I mean injuries got him. Yeah, I was. That's that's literally what I was about to say. I was going to say that like it was one thing when they lost Hero. It was another thing when they lost Oladipo. It was like okay, whatever. And the the Vincent thing to me, like I've always loved that guy. And it, they can only, I mean, for a team that even when they, I mean, look, even if Hero and Oladipo and Vincent were playing, 
we would all say that the Celtics are eons more talented, and now they're three guards down. I mean, it's hard. Yeah, and it but... also it ruins how Lowry plays now, having to put him in the starting lineup. I'm there. the The whole issue in this in this um series is the fact that that the Spolstra is out coaching every coach that he's going up against. Yeah, he, he's if if you just look at what's happening, this is not the same Boston Celtics defense from last year under Iman. Not even close. This nope. this is a different team. This basically says, "All right, we're going to go out and out outscore you." This team is more um, Dan Tony than than Ime Udoka, and because of it, when somebody punched them in the mouth, they didn't know what to do. And and to the point where you're seeing Al Horford coaching on the sideline, L- literally at a timeout. And the players are huddled around Al Horford. What are we going to do? And Al, which makes some sense. Al Horford is two years older than the head coach. He he has a weird demeanor, Missoula. It, it's he's a kid and big he, eye sockets. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just I just see like how an organization's hubris can destroy themselves. Um, the Phoenix Suns had a good thing going, but of course the new owner wants to make a splash and can't help himself, and 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 he doesn't even wait. He doesn't even kind of learn the team, learn the organization, and learn the league. Nah, he jumps in with both feet. Then he fires a coach, and and now the the next hire, <laughs> the process of hiring this next hire looks crazy, like. And going into a, a draft that's pivotal, um, you know, for for a, a, a landscape for your team to be making deals, you, you, you don't have a head coach. Sheba basically bought NBA 2K, but in real life, and was yeah. like, "Yo, I'm go- I'm gonna go get like some player that I can cheese with." <laughs> oh, <my> exactly. <laughs> He's like me, Booker, and and KD. <laughs> like, well, hold on. Let me ask you: Do you think Matt Sheba knew who Cam Johnson was? When he bought the team, hell no. Good question. I don't know. Like, like he obviously no. like. All right, I'm 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 gonna be like buying the Suns in the next few months, but like, let's say like two years ago when he wasn't like thinking of buying the the like, or maybe he wasn't like the Suns thing wasn't all, going on. How much all, did he know about he Cam knew, Johnson? All he knew is that he saw Devin Booker hanging out with Kylie Jennings and <laughs> Jenner yeah. or whatever her name is. Um. And, and he was like, yo, he must be pretty good. That's what he knew. He's a basketball guy, so, you know, I think he definitely knows the stars of the league. Yeah. You know, but does he know, like, the high-end role players? He knows ESPN talk show in the morning, Sports Center. Guys, he doesn't know Cam Johnson. He, he didn't know who Cam Johnson was. He knows now. <laughs> well, you know, and to relate to the Suns uh, with the Nets, I mean – so we obviously have the Bruce Brown comments yesterday, which for those who don't know, Bruce obviously ended up kind of, it seemed like he pulled to, to first, you know, uh, criticize Bruce a little bit. He did pull a bit of a 180 in that his comments went hard and left was the locker room. So is, is uh, everyone seems to like each other now. 
which doesn't necessarily contradict what he said but, yesterday on the Dan Levitard show, which was that, you know, James was kind of like the life of the party. Everyone, he got everybody damn, all together. Damn, you don't, you don't get, you're not getting the joke. And he even, he even after says, I'm not talking about strip clubs. Yeah. I'm not talking about anything like that. He was being, he, he basically, and, and the other comments came when he was still on the team and he probably, and trying to and trying to kind of have like you know buck up, you know lift lift his chin up and try to <laughs> pretend like he's okay, type of thing. But what was clear is what a lot of people have been kind of, you know, implying ever since KD left was that the chaos in the locker room came from the superstars. Yeah, and and. Even to even, like when you're in the fraternity of NBA players, it's a small fraternity. You're about to go into a final. You don't want any real static with nobody. You don't. You don't want to kind of imply somebody got rid of you unless it's burning you up, unless it's killing. Like like that. I don't think he wanted to leave. I think he was close with the ownership. I think he knew <laughs> knew the um. He's comfortable and liking living in a big city. He's from. He's not from far from here. He's he's a Boston guy, so I, I think he's bitter to to even kind of let that fly. But the part of the joke that people didn't even realize was he wasn't even really trying to give what's his name and uh, Harden an endorsement either. He he not. It wasn't like he said he worked hard. He helped us work hard. Yeah, and made us a better team. He said. He planned the events. Yeah, it seemed like it basically it basically seemed like what Bruce was saying yesterday was that um was that J- James, KD and Kyrie didn't really get along with each other and because of that when Harden left, everyone in the locker room now liked each other and before that it wasn't that way, but when Harden was there, he was the guy that uh looks like we just lost Eve, but uh, he was the guy that um that everybody kind of you know like got around and he organized you know some type of camaraderie within the within the locker room i i mean like all it all it shows to me and, and to go back to our son's t- uh conversation is that it must be some type of difference i mean you see the videos of Cam Johnson and Bridges and Campaign and Booker and Aiden and how close that entire young core was. And then basically shelling out two of the most well-liked guys for, for KD who clearly is not Mr. Like, let's all like get dinner together is quite a shock to the system. Look, it might not matter because the two guys are so confident are are so good, but I I don't know. A friendship standpoint, when you come into the league as young guys and come up together, it's it's less of a business at that point. And then it becomes like when our contracts get involved and you start switching teams, you, you know, the romanticizing of the whole thing maybe goes by the wayside. It becomes more business. And when you bring in a Durant, it's strictly like we got to win, we got to win, we got to win. Uh, that's like the only focus of the team. So maybe some of the fun side of it does come out of it. Um, but I'm just like over the litigating of the Nets uh, implosion. It's like yeah, uh, how many, I mean, how many I'm, World War II docs can you watch? 
Right. Exactly. No, I mean, I, I, I agree. It is. Um, I mean, look, I, the one thing I have to say, I do think it was, um, I, I do think it's very, very, very interesting that, um, and I was happy to hear that the decision to not bring back Bruce did seem like it wasn't a front office decision because a, it gives me a bit more confidence in what the Nets currently have, in what the Nets currently have, assuming that Marks is still going to be there and, and be here. And, you know, obviously shows that the, the inner workings of what was going on with the Nets the last three or four years was kind of what we all thought. Yeah. And hopefully no matter what happens, it's that we at least have a different mindset going forward. You know, the Bruce Brown thing never made any sense. Like typically if a G, he, you know, he, when I woke up and the Nets traded Musa for Bruce Brown, I was like, who the fuck is Bruce Brown? Right. You know, I'm not like, oh, my God, they got Bruce Brown? You know, he was on, like, a Pistons team that you, you know, even when you played them, like, you, you knew you are going to win. You're not they're – never, they're not on TV. They're not in the mix. You're not paying attention to them. So I'm like, yo, who's this guy, Bruce Brown? Like, whatever. Uh, seems like he's an athlete. So he found that guy, right? Like, he, he ripped off – Yep the Pistons, he was like, there's more here than what the output is. Something we're hoping he'll be able to do this offseason, right? So he does that. This guy builds himself up to an NBA player, and you can keep him on a keep contract. Great culture guy, great attitude guy, does all, you know, a lot like Josh Hart, right? But, I, you know, I think a better version of Josh Hart uh, for the Knicks, who's going to get like $18 million, it was like a no-brainer to bring back. So now in hindsight, it's like, well, maybe he didn't just get Royce O'Neal because he thought he was a better shooter. Maybe there was other stuff at, at, at play. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point as well. Um, all right, so this is the final segment that we're doing in this series of kind of reviewing the roster. We have anywhere from two to five guys left, depending on how we deal with the uh, – three kind of two-way G League-ish type players that are on the roster. But the first guy that I want to hit on um, is Nick Claxton, who's going into the final year of his – You know, uh, Sam, let, let, let's just gloss over the, uh, the, the the two-way guys real quick because if I'm a listener, I don't really care about those guys. I'm going to shut this off after that anyway. So all right, let, fair. Let, all let's right, just so, get right, them so out of the way. So, so let's just go quick. All right, so D- David Duke, do you have any – uh, David Duke Jr., sorry. Do you have any comments about, about him? So it's Duke, Gray, and Drew Smith, right? Yeah, that's the three that I have. Yeah. So I like Duke, and I actually think, like, as a, a – I don't know I don't know the rules on the G League, like, if he can stay on that two-way. I would keep him as a two-way guy. You know, when he's had to play, he finds ways to contribute. He doesn't need to score. He He's kind of like a broke – Um. Josh Hart, like he does get them offensive rebounds. He plays above the rim, good energy, gets downhill, gets to the basket. Look, he's nothing special, but of those three, like Drew Smith is not an NBA player. Um, and Gray, like, you know, haven't seen much of him, but like he has a weird body. I don't think he's an NBA player. I would hold on to Duke. The other two can kick the curb. Gotcha. Eve, we're just going over the three uh, two-way guys before we get to Claxton and Dinwiddie. Um, no, I could hear you guys. You guys couldn't hear me. Yep, we well. got you. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I agree. I've been pretty – I actually find Duke to be relatively impressive. I think he does make an impact, and he's aggressive, and he attacks. But, like, look, I mean, as someone who 
uh, follows the draft pretty religiously and seeing how much talent is coming, not just from college, but from the G League and from overseas and whatnot, you know, you, you do have the feeling that the grass is always greener with different guys that you can get in the second round and what uh, and whatnot. And while I think that Duke could probably contribute as a ninth or tenth man in some way, shape, or form, maybe down the road, I don't feel particularly strong about him. I mean, he obviously he's he's twenty three. He's, he's a little undersized, only six four. He's been carving up the G League, and I believe was a G League All Star this year, or first team uh, All NBA for the G League, but. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't have particularly strong feelings about Duke or or uh, or Drew Smith, for that matter. Raekwon Gray, I thought, was really impressive in college. It doesn't really seem like he's uh, put it together in a combination of the G League and, you know, I, I mean, I don't, I, he's barely gotten any minutes in the, in the actual pros. So I, I don't really feel that strongly about the three of them and just, you know, given the influx of talent that this league has, I think being tied to any of these three guys would be foolish just from a roster spot perspective, given how uh, sacred each roster spot is. Yeah. I, I, Dave. So you, you like these guys because you watch them grow up. They've been on the team a couple of years. You root for the team. You root for the guy. I root for, I, I root for uh, David Duke. Uh, which is hard to say considering who his namesake is. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but but um, uh, Duke is a good little player, uh, helped elevate the, um, the G League team to, to a finals, I, I, I believe. I know we didn't win it. And, um, you know, he, but he, he's not an NBA player. And, what, and what's happening right now is – there is an influx of young players who who fit that mold of, of the type of player. Like, there's so many. Like, when I watch draft tape, <laughs> and these players are players that are going late round, second round, they have Tracy McGrady-type bodies. Yep. What, like, how is so many, like, long athletic guys coming into the league I feel it needs a pause there, but not really. <laughs> um, long athletic guys are coming are coming into the league that are skilled and that have the potential. Where if you could just get them a shot, or if you could just cure their turnovers, or you know, I'm like, you can have that guy. The Nets have to be opportunistic with these with these uh, seats on the bench. You can't have guys that's just there to dance or. Or because wow, that guy grew up here and he's pretty good. Um, I, I can't see it with him, so I'd rather, you know, he, he's the only him. one worth potentially bringing back. Out of out uh, of out any, of two way, out of so so how we're doing it? Like all three of them? <laughs> yeah, like him, Drew Smith, and Raekwon Gray. Of those three, he's the only one that I can see contributing. As like a thirteenth, fourteenth guy, and you you included Cam Thomas in that group? No, no. It's not a, no. We're talking about just the two way guys. Okay, we already did Cam Thomas, brother. Oh, okay, that was weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm um, yo, I think I think none of them ha- can come back because we know what they are. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean this. I mean, look, this draft, whether it has. 
big-time, like, all-star level talent, I think remains to be seen outside of, you know, whatever you th- whatever you think about Wemby and, and, and Scoot and maybe Brandon Miller. But, like, there's just a lot – I mean, like, I've, I've been following the draft pretty religiously for a while and, like, really, like, going through, like, and watching, you know, YouTube and watching games and whatnot closely for probably, like, 10 years now. And, like, th- there's just – I mean, the talent that's coming in every single year now is so strong – and this year, to me, blows out this past rookie class, which I think this past rookie class was a bit disappointing, um, yeah. to say the least. And I, I don't know. I just – I agree with you. I think, like, you never know who's going to pop onto a roster and end up making an impact. I mean, we're seeing it with guys on the Nuggets and Heat where there's just – you know, you put a guy in the right situation with the right coach and the guy can totally pop off. Um, yeah. but, we have a lot of – we have a lot of – C and B level talent. Those that C and B level talent, that's the stuff that you package together eventually and you trade for a, a big piece. Not that I'm advocating for that or I'm saying that there's something down the road. I'm not. I'm saying you have to be opportunistic and have that that choice um, you know, within your with you know, within your grasp. Um when they traded Jared Allen it almost made it where it was mandatory that that Claxton could step in and, and, and be as as good and, and keep the machine going. You need to do more of that. You need to have guys that you're drafting that if you give them two years in your program, by the third year, they're going to be contributors to your team and give you the flexibility to potentially move some of these older guys on and can, yeah. and, and keep the team fresh. A true, a true, it's like a true farm system, which we just, it, since we've been in Brooklyn, it's been impossible for us to do that because we never have our picks. Yep. You know, it's like, and now we have that right now. We have draft picks. We have time on our side. And I agree. Like you don't want to be bringing these young guys in and having them to have to be the best players on the team right away. Right. We're starters, even for that matter. Right. We could we can grow them. We could grow them organically. <laughs> right. You know. You, you, right. Sound. You let you let a, a, a guy that's going to go get overpaid somewhere else go because you feel like you can get the same production from your guy that's now entering the injury. Right. Or or the smarter thing to do is when the time comes that you may want to package a Cam Johnson to some team that needs the final lot they needs that final piece to their championship you know uh chances and they want to give you the 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 lion's share of of assets that they've stacked up if that ever was to happen right not wishing for it but if it was ever to happen wouldn't it be great if you had some steal from the draft that that you didn't even know was going to be that good that has a seven foot wingspan and can play the position and and is look feisty and you could just plug him in and make that move. And or even just like, you know, if you're a good team and you know, one of your players is going to miss a month and a half, well, this guy can come in and and produce a semblance of what (laughs) the starter did. Right. Maybe not quite as efficiently, but you know, there's not a major, major drop off, you know, obviously star players, that's never going to be replicable. But guys like Cam Johnson, you're supposed to draft those and develop those. Right. And and the greater point is you need sit, seats on the bench of guys that could actually be that. And we know these Raekwon Gray is not that guy. 
David Duke Jr., not that guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know it was interesting. I, I was listening to um, Ryan Rossillo interview CJ McCollum yesterday, and they were talking about like building a team and, and how hard it is to have any continuity. But even within all that, you know, you have a team like the Pelicans that obviously has had high draft picks and has also traded for some guys and whatnot. But they also just have so much talent on the roster that CJ was saying, you know, like Ingram went out and then Najee Marshall started playing and he was averaging 18 points a game being in that same role because he just goes into kind of Willie Green system. And then, you know, uh, Zion gets hurt and, you know, Jackson Hayes does some stuff and, you know, CJ McCollum comes out and then Josh Richardson starts playing more. And, you know, then when Ingram was out, Trey Murphy was starting and, pl- and, and playing much more with Najee Marshall than coming off the bench. And it was just interesting to see exactly what you guys are saying, which is this plug and play of having talent and look like, I mean, the Pelicans have a gazillion in part because of the trades they made with the, uh, with the Lakers. And I guess with the, yeah, mostly with the Lakers. I mean, they basically, you know, have a million picks and have cultivated now, you know, this really nice young group waiting for a guy like CJ and having some veterans in there, like Larry Nance Jr. and whatnot. Right. Um, and and, right. and that's what you hope. That's what you hope with the Nets of it, like eventually, which is, as Bam said, is something that hasn't been able to happen either because we've traded the picks or – you know, we've traded guys that we actually did start to cultivate to get stars, which, you know, is fine. It happens. Uh, I mean, the Nets also haven't been in the lottery in part because they've been in the playoffs. And even before that, they obviously didn't have their own picks. So it'll be interesting to see. Like, I don't even I think I think Favors was the last Nets lottery pick, I believe. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think that was what yeah, and they, tra- you said and they traded him like two, like four months later. Yeah, I think I think you said that on the podcast, which is, I mean, insane. Uh, but I mean, that's the John Wall draft. That's what thirteen years ago now. Yeah, and, and basically, once they didn't get Wall, they they had no intention on keeping the player they were drafting. Yeah, so I mean, it just goes. I mean, look, there's obviously a, a lot of different ways to skin a cat, but it uh, he, it will he, be interesting to see what way this. He played a uh, lot of years in Denver, right? No, Utah. Which, I forget yeah. which one it was, Utah or Denver. But yeah, yeah. Let's, you know, Derek Favors had a whole home career. He wasn't saving the Nets. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, That's but anyway, so it, it sounds like we've hit we've hit what we wanted to hit about the two-way guys. Um, all right, so let's go to, I would say, one of the most polarizing guys on this roster. Actually, both guys we're going to talk about are pretty polarizing. But, all right, uh, Nick Claxton, who was coming off at arguably an all-defense all, an all defense season, um Averaged 13 points a game, nine rebounds, shot 71% from the from the field, which is pretty crazy. Um, 54% from the uh, from the free throw line. Had a really high uh, PR, 21 PR, 9.2 win shares. So had a, like just uh, the advanced analytics on Claxton this year were overall like amazing. He's going into his last uh, the last year of his deal, which was a great deal that the Nets got him for last year. He's going to make eight point seven million this coming year after making eight five this year. Then will be an unrestricted free agent. Um, I guess whoever wants to go talk about what you saw from Claxton this year. He's he just turned twenty four, so that he's obviously still a baby, even though it feels like he's been a part of the Nets forever. Um, and I, I guess at this point, is he the longest? Or besides Joe, I guess he's the longest tenure net. Um, so, 
whoever wants to go, Eve, Bam, kick Let it off go. on 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 Clax. Let me go because I want I want Bam to debunk what I say. Um, because I think I'm I'm more emotional about this than I might be more emotional about this than being reasonable. So um I'll I'll uh I'll I'll welcome Bam's counterpoint on this. I think if you have a target or a player, I, I guess you can let go of Nick Claxton. Nick Claxton is not a perfect player by far. But what he has already accomplished in in my, my perspective, like I'm always going to go in the direction of the thing that has the highest likelihood of succeeding. Even if it's this has a 40% chance and this has a 20% chance. I I I'll always go for the pathway that that makes the most sense. And I can't think of a player that we can readily get that is a better player than Nick Claxton. Um, just in terms of what impact he can have, not only on his own as a player by himself, but with this particular group. There was moments, in the, especially in the first month of the year, even though the Nets were um, getting to know each other, but this acid-washed version of, of Ben Simmons that we saw last year, um, uh, uh, he, he was still getting 15 and, and 8. And the defense that he was playing with Nick Claxton was, at the very least, intriguing. Like, wow. And, and they had some real defensive liabilities on the floor with them, but the defense looked... Like, if you could put these two guys together for a while, they could play some amazing defense. Fast forward till now, you now have Mikael Bridges, a guy who's maybe the best guy out of it at jumping into the lane, grabbing a steal, defending you man up. Um, it's this, it's, it's, I just see this opportunity to put together a, de a defensive group that can be together a few years and grow together if he develops the right way. Now, I had, when I was 23 years old, I had put on my weight. I had put on my, I was 205 as, as uh, a starting quarterback for my, for my Westbury high school. Uh, I weighed 172 pounds at six foot four. <laughs> so, I looked retarded. Uh, uh, the skinny big head dude, like that that was me. And and now in my advanced years, if I ever got down to what I was at 22, I would I would look like I was an AIDS patient. I would look like I'm sick <laughs> and I'm going to die soon. Like what's wrong? Like you would see me Sam, if I was 205 right now, you would see me Sam and go Eve, is everything okay? Is everything all right? <laughs> I I could never see that weight again. And when I see his dad, I see a dude who, like me, has become fluffy in our in our in our old years. And 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 he's gonna put on the weight. If he puts on the weight and maintains that agility that makes him a, a able to guard one through five, 
which I don't care about, by the way. I need him to become great at guarding five. <laughs> Be great at guarding four and three, five. Three, right four, five. Yeah, I mean, still, guarding five, you know, being able to hang with these bigger guys, he's he's going to have to put on 20 pounds of muscle, not 40, not 60. He doesn't have to get crazy, but he's got to be able to hold his ground and not get thrown into the stands, you know, every time a bigger center um, backs him down. Uh, uh, and, and, and I think he'll get there. I, I think he has the right sentiment i think he i i think he likes being in this city i think brooklyn is his brand he was drafted by us so i'm very optimistic uh <laughs> in him um and i and i also recognize the flaws of having two non-shooters in 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 ben and and nick potentially but when when i saw it it worked and i think they didn't even really get to have a, a chemistry because by the second month of the year, Ben started looking way worse than in the first part, leading to probably what, you know, leading to what has been reported now and what everyone understood is that he, he got in, he, he started playing too early. So there, the two of them gelling never really, really happened, even though some of the best minutes that the Nets have had this year, granted, a lot of those minutes had Kevin Durant in there as well. But some of the best minutes that they've had was when those two were on the floor together. And I, I think at with Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson being in, in the lineup, I think as a group, they could create a, a defensive identity that that is is modern, is is prove some of these stat geek um, ideas uh, to be real. Uh, and, and some of them to be lies, by the way. But I think they could be a special defense. Um, uh, that could be frisky in the playoffs, like, like for real, for real, frisky, like, like Western, uh, like what Miami's doing right now, frisky. But they, they have to have guys that buy in, and 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 I think, I think, um, Nick could be a catalyst for us on defense, especially. Oh, and lastly, he needs a go-to move. He doesn't have one. He needs one. But that's the development of uh, that's the development of the team's job to get done i think he could do it um you know but again i'm more so thinking about what he can do what we know is proven that he can do i think he could be special and once he's able to to really guard his position that's when he'll be a for real for real defensive player of the year type and I, he's got it in him it would be nice to have it at all coagulate together into into one incredible defensive team I hope I didn't put you guys to sleep with that, but I, I no, Sam, you're up. <laughs> so, I I don't believe that Claxton will ever put the weight on that. That's necessary to guard the true fives because his his natural body type is string bean, and he's yes, he can lift and he can do all those things. But I have uh, here's a newsflash: everybody is lifting in the off season, right? They're all getting stronger or maintaining their strength. The thing is, for Nick, where his father may have gotten a little doughy is because his father's not playing NBA basketball. So any, even if Nick puts weight on in the season, it's going to be tough for him to keep it on. He's just He just doesn't have that body. And I, I, I've said this many times. I'll say it again. 
Name the center in the playoffs that looks like Nick Claxton. No, Nick Claxton has to change. You, you you're right. But I, I and I don't I, think, I don't think you I can't disagree. just I, where we disagree is he. What you call string bean? Giannis was that. He Giannis Giannis they, is a freak, right? Not no pun intended with his nickname, but like he's a freak. Look at their bodies at the same age. It's not it's not the same. Giannis came in very like baby face looking, but what he did was like insane. Plus he has basketball skills. So my, my problem with Claxton is he, he really has no basketball skill. His, his whole game is that he's a quick athlete, quick twitch athlete, right. That, that can guard. And that, that, that's nothing to, to, to sneeze at, but at eight, 9 million, that's really valuable, right? Cause it lets you put assets elsewhere financially. Where do you what are you comfortable paying him? Are you comfortable giving him twenty million dollars, hoping that he can guard an Anthony Davis one day, hoping he can guard a Giannis one day, hoping he can guard a, a Bam, hoping he can be Bam out of bio, you know, one day. I'm not ready to I'm not ready to do that and also pay Cam Johnson. So we're gonna get into like our offseason plans. And, and a big thing for me is, like, it's got to be either or. I'm not giving both of those guys 20-plus million dollars and hoping that they play at a higher plateau than they already did. And for me, it'll, it'll probably come down to, like, who you, can get, who you can get a better package for. Claxton is a great guy. He's a net, and, and I, I love rooting for him. I struggle with the fact that he has no offensive game whatsoever. You know, he's all finishing around the rim. You know, he's got that little drop set move. His free throw shot is broken. He, I don't know who thinks that that is a sustainable way to become a good free throw shooter. It is a totally broken form. Horrible. Can't take, can't take a, can't catch the ball and shoot a footer. <coughs> and he is seriously like it's, he's years away from physical development, from being able to play in a physical playoff series. And not get shoved around. Look what Mitch Robinson did to Jared Allen. I think he would do the same thing to Nick Claxton. And I'm not particularly high on Mitch Robinson either. So for me, Claxton is basically, I'm going to choose between him and Cam Johnson, but I'm exploring the markets for both of those players. Would I dump them if push came to shove? Probably not. But I'm not comfortable paying that guy $20 million just to be a, a switch defender. Yeah, so I guess... Can I just add... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. For me, a 23-year-old always gets better. I, I, that's, so that's not true. It's rare that... I mean, that's I mean not he didn't true. get better. he didn't get better the second year. He, he didn't get better the second year. You're right about that, right? You're, and you're right that not every 23-year-old gets better. But, but the tendency is for a young basketball player whose whose trajectory has gone is is going upwards gets better that that typically not always but typically is the thing that happens that a 23 year old gets better at 24 um has D'Angelo Russell gotten better <laughs> I think he's gotten very And much I, I understand I'm I'm cherry picking like an example but like no, but he's, when, got, he, he's the same. He's 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 right. He's, that's he plateaued. The thing about thing about him. Guys he, plateau. It happens all the time. 
So, like, to me, like, what are you willing to pay? Like, what are you comfortable paying him? If they and, then could... we'll, and then we'll let Sam go because he, he, he's just listening to the scream. No, like, no. I, uh, no, I'm here. I um, I mean, look, this is my thing. I think that it's definitely so the body filling out thing. I'm not sure. I believe, and there's a uh, ambulance going by me, but the I don't I don't know if I see his body getting that much bigger because he's been in the league for four or five years, and as Bam said, like a lot of people, you know. Uh, everyone's working out. Look, I, I think he did get a little bigger from last year, so he obviously uh, he could make marginal changes. But I don't know. But I don't think they're going to be anything monumental. Having said that, the one thing that I'm a bit intrigued by with him, and this goes, and I'm not trying to open up another can of worms, is that he seemed like he was most dangerous when he was playing with Harden. If if Ben shows any amount of you know life again. I think that's a really interesting combo. The only issue, again, is that then you have two guys on the floor who both can't shoot threes and can't shoot free throws. So, yeah, which is why, which is why, at the end of the day, I probably go back to where where Bam lies, which is that, like, I don't really see how in the modern NBA you can be Claxton size and not be able to, and and I should say Claxton's like width and size and not be able to shoot free throws and also not be able to rebound with the best of them. Like if he was good at one of those things, like if he had Mitch's body or if he had the ability to shoot like, you know, even not even like a marksman, like, like towns, but even if he could shoot like Valanchunas could or something like that, Shit, like, like Draymond or like, I mean, I mean, yeah, like, like it's just it, the, the issue is that to be on the floor, like the way he is, look, I've said this about him forever, like forever, forever. To me, I think it's almost worse for him that he's as tall as he is because he's asked to do things that he shouldn't really have to do. But what we saw, to me, the most impressive moment I've ever seen of Claxton was him guarding Middleton in the Buck series because he was clamping down on a guy who is phenomenally skilled, but he was out on the perimeter because Claxton just like, as much as he can be a good uh rim protector because of his athleticism and his size he can't really body a lot of these new age centers like if you like a lot of the new centers that are coming into the league are close to as as athletic as him but also have 50 more pounds and are double the width of him like a guy like walker kessler is just much bigger than him like claxton as we've seen for years now has trouble with the valanchunas type guys and that's what makes me nervous, which look, I, I from Eve's perspective and why I, why I understand where he's coming from is that if you think that he's going to fill out and gain 20, 15, 20, 25 pounds of muscle, then he to me is a, a very different player. Then he's checking off one of those two boxes that I previously said are unchecked. But, but these are the these are the same things we said about Jared Allen. Yeah, right? exactly. And yeah, Jared exactly. Allen is still getting shoved around like, they're just not naturally big physical guys. And by the guys. way, Allen also is a decent free throw shooter. Yeah. And look, Nick Claxton is a $20 million player for, for some teams. Yeah. 100%. What I don't want, what I don't want to do. And, and the same thing with Cam Johnson. What I want, what I don't want to do is be the Nets, be the team that has a few guys making $20 million that aren't $20 million players for the Nets. And I think, and I think they'll, they're going to have to gauge the value Nick Claxton being on a, a sub nine million dollar a year contract 
makes him very, very valuable in trades. A thousand percent. Because for good teams, and that's where he's a $20 million (laughs) player for, teams that are really looking to make that jump, really compete at the highest level, they don't have to send out a lot of salary. So the Nets have to listen. And and, and, because it's not just such a knock on Nick. I just don't like him for us now necessarily. If we're going to also bring back Cam Johnson at twenty five, twenty six yeah, million dollars, yeah, Sam, I think I think that's an amazing point because I think look, GMs at the end of the day are 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 people like us, and if they're looking at you know their assets and the and the players on their roster, and they're like, huh, Claxton at eight and a half, that's a fucking steal, and then they're like, oh, Claxton at twenty two million, then your mind starts going to, well, why don't I just draft someone? Like, I mean, twenty two million is what you know. I mean, I mean, Bridges is making what twenty four million. I mean, there's the 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 plethora of rim running centers that are now in the league, coupled with what Claxton's weaknesses are. I think you give that guy twenty something million dollars, and I just I don't know that just that to me goes from being like right now he's a beyond plus contract to like maybe neutral. I think it could go in a lot of different ways. But look, like we're. we're Let's compare Claxton to another former net, Brooke Lopez, right? Brooke Lopez was in the running for defensive player of the year this year. And he also can shoot threes. And he's also about triple the width of Claxton. And I mean, yeah. he's a free agent and he's going to get money. Like, And he can also like, you, you can give him the ball occasionally. Yeah, he is right. To score. Right. You know, like- and so, and none of us here think of Brooke Lopez as an all-star, but Brooke Lopez can do the four things that centers need to, that, that, that the four most probably pivotal things that centers can try to can can do, Brooke can do all of them, and I don't really think Claxton can do any of them besides maybe besides rim protect. And and he's, I want to go back to something you said real quick is like, how do you replace him? And like to me, that's the mindset you have like when the, when the Cavs gave J.R. Smith a huge contract, right? Like they couldn't re- they they were over the cap, they're competing at the highest level. They can't afford to let this guy, so they had to suck it up and, and overpay for a guy like J.R. Smith. We're not there right now, so I'm, I'm not telling you that. No, like if, no, it, you're. you're hold on, let me you're finish. Then, let me finish, then you can count it. We're not at the point now where, like, if we lose Claxton, I'm not telling you like we'll have as good of a player there. We may get worse, right? And, and that obviously that sucks, but I think we're in a position where we can afford to maybe make those types of prudent decisions because we're not. It's not going to like cost us the title. You know what I mean? It's but it could it could cost you. You could go a generation and never have a player as good as Claxton. Well, and then we're fucked. No, I, but that happens. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like if we that, can't, if we could go a that, generation that, that without happened. having a player as good as him, we're fucked. That, We've had we, it, we had a better center than him two years ago. It ha- it happens all the time. I mean, I I'm I'm more of a once you have an asset. You build that asset up all the way to the peak of its value. I would sign. I would sign Nick Claxton right now to a twenty million dollar deal. I would. I would make it look like I'm doing him a favor, and I. I appreciate him so much because guess what? The new CBA is going to make these twenty million dollar contracts look at how we look at fifteen million dollar contracts right now. The max players are going to be getting seventy million. Right. Well, Eves, you could argue that he's at his peak value right now. 
he's 23 with a small contract, and somebody else can give him that 20 million, right? I, I think and he's, he's, value never, is that, he's not getting younger. Is that the trade? I think I think he I think you become he becomes more valuable, right? At the trade deadline, and if he has a good year, you get to reap the rewards of now I have an asset that I could even take into the summer and expect to get two first round picks for it, trading him now or trading him later. Like you're going to get what you're going to get now, even if he has a mediocre season, Yeah. because the other team is going to go, well, on my team that has these amazing players, he's going to fill in the role and do the dirty work that my superstars don't want to do. You, the, the best time to get rid of them would be later, l- later than now. We, we, I, you know, I mean, I've been on the, the side of take a deep breath, put this team together and take some responsibility for not only developing their basketball game, but developing their camaraderie. It, you just heard from a dude that's going to the finals that played for us, that there's something missing when when there's no camaraderie and and because of that some of these intangible things see what it does once you add them and then to the value of these assets that you're holding at the same time knowing that there's a new CBA coming and what happened? Did we lose you? Right. Well, while, while we're losing him, you know, I yeah. I, I agree with him uh, on the camaraderie point, but I would say that the Nets don't have any right now. Yeah, I so agree. like they can they can restart that this like I want the Nets to start that net like next season. I don't believe that like Nick Claxton and the, the few months he had with the guys that were here matters at this point in time. So and I and I think they could get two first round picks for him now. I think possibly. Because I think contending teams would be so happy to be able to get him on a, you know, without having to send that type of salary out. Some of these contending teams might be have trade exceptions he can fit into. You know, it's, um, it, it's interesting because so I'm looking up this year the centers that are making the most amount of money. And so you have Jokic at 47 and Embiid at 47. You have Gobert at 41, Dave, Anthony Davis at 41. Carl Towns at 36, Bam at 32, and Aiden at 32 and a half. And then there's a big fall from the 30s, and those are the top seven. So then Miles Turner, at tw- there's a couple of 20 guys, like Turner, Capella, Jared Allen, and then you have another dip to like the mid-teens with the Nurkic and Mitch Robinson and Valanciunas, Wendell Carter, and it, you know the, the list goes on. And I think like all this really you know shows us is that you know, like I do agree, and I and I'm not trying to copy like what NBA intelligentsia says, but like I personally would not pay for 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 centers unless I really think that they're beyond beyond elite. Because there are guys like you know, and, and obviously I know the money is going to go up, so all this stuff is relative. But like you know, you guys you have guys like Wendell Carter making 13, and and uh, Rob Williams making 11, and Zubats making 11, and you know. Uh, uh, Hartenstein making eight and Okongwu making eight and Kavan Looney making seven and a half and all like, all, and the list goes on. And 
all of this is to say, like, I just think you can find these guys, and I. And you know, I'll say, Sam, this was probably my my this would be what would be my closing argument on Nick Claxton. Pull up the NBA playoffs, and and tell me how many teams would Nick Claxton also start for? The teams yeah, I mean, that made the playoffs. The only one I could think of would maybe be Atlanta. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I mean, I think Okongu might be better than him, but, or will be better than him for sure. But yeah, so like, you know, I mean, but that's what I'm saying, right? Like, and then now, like, look like the teams that got to the second round. Whose center looks like Nick Claxton? Yeah, I mean, look, I I agree with you. I think he's been a. I think he's he's a net. I'll never forget, like him talking shit to the Bucks in the Bucks series, and he was the only. And he shows a lot. Him and Bruce Brown were the only guys that like kind of showed anything in the in the Celtics series. But I I agree. I mean, I I personally, you know, I just don't. I just don't really. Uh, I don't totally see. It. Eve, do you have any final points before we move on to Dinwiddie? Um. <clears throat> I don't even know where I stopped talking. I was flying. <laughs> uh, you know, you were you were basically talking about the camaraderie of the team, right? And, and when you cut off, we basically said that we agree with you that 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 the Nets need to start building that like a, a core group. But we don't think there's any camaraderie currently, like the, the short stint from last year. Oh yeah, there's yeah, you're right. So like to, to me, like if you got rid of Nick now, that doesn't mean you can't build that with the group moving forward. And I don't know if you heard this, but I asked him a question. And this is my this is my f- closing argument on Claxton, and I'll let you you finish up. Of the teams that made the playoffs, other than us, who would he have started for? I'm we really came up thinking, with maybe Atlanta. I'm really thinking. I don't. I don't even think he'd start for Atlanta. That's All what right, I said. Then. I don't think he would either. So look, I ha- like look if they could get him back for like fifteen million a year, then yeah, sign me the fuck up. But if we start looking into the twenties. To me, like especially like if Houston is thinking like we're gonna get Harden back and those guys have a rapport and a relationship and we can start like you know maybe getting one of our picks back or something plus a young player, I think you have to look at it. Yep. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's talk. Um. Let's talk, Mister Net Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, who averaged this year seventeen points, three and a half rebounds, six and a half assists. Shot 44% uh, from the field, 37% from three, 80% from the free throw line. Um, obviously, with the Nets, he was far more of a distributor. He was he was averaging nine assists with the Nets and also shot, uh, but his shooting was pretty terrible. The Nets shot 40% from the field, 29% from three, um, about 80% from the free throw line. Um he currently has contract wise as I'm pulling it up right now. He's got one year left of 20, 20.3 million for this coming year. He just made 19 and a half. How much is he making this year? This coming year? He's making yeah. 20.3. Uh, I think he said 23. I was like, damn, good for you, Spence. By the way, just, I, this is, won't be breaking news when it comes out, but the Cardinals just released DeAndre Hopkins. Um, oh, let's go, baby. <laughs> I thought that would make Get him happy. in blue. Let's go. You think uh, they would do that? You think they would absolutely. do Absolutely. I, I think I he might go to that. the Bills, which would suck. Um, That's very possible, too. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to uh, – I knew I knew that would get Bam excited for, uh, for, for, our, for our Dinwiddie talk. But anyway, 
So Spencer's obviously Mr. Ned, came over here in the Kyrie trade, has a year left. I think the fan base is fairly split on him, although I would say that it leans towards kind of being sick of him, but maybe that's just, you know, a lot of a lot of tread on the tires. Um, I'll start off with, uh, with Bam on this one because Eve went first for Claxton. Bam, you have some strong opinions on, on Dinwiddie. I think you know his talent, but I guess go ahead. Spencer was lovable his first stint. And maybe it's not his fault. It was just like I was mad at the Nets, and he was an easy target. But, boy, was he easy to fucking hate on the last few months of the season. But having said that, I'm going to contradict myself here. Um, Like Eve saying, like, well, how do you replace him? And I say that doesn't matter. The one position where I, I, I say does matter is point guard. Even if I'm like a tanking team, I want a veteran point guard that can play the position, get the team organized to a, a, a respectable degree. And Spencer can do that. Now, obviously, I'd be willing to trade him if we're getting a answer at the point guard position. But if we're just like drafting somebody 21st, you know, we can't start that type of player. So my guess is we're going to be stuck with Spencer until at least the deadline and even possibly through it. They're just, they're just not going to, like, dump him and not have a point guard. And, and I think that is the right call. Eve? I, I um, don't disagree with – like, it's, it's so weird. It's everything I, – I clearly understand in my head that what Matt said was right. But here's why you keep Spencer. Spencer, in his proper role, which is backup point guard, point guard that fills in when your point guard gets hurt, when someone needs to get rested, he can he can play either either the the one or the two, and give some and and um and give them a breather without having that drop off. He's also kind of like a like you know. He's a he's a net, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Not that not that 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 matters, but I I I like the brainy guy being the spokesman, uh, or at least being able to articulate what's happening, uh, you know, with the team in in a way that that isn't brooding, isn't. I, I just think that there's a role a guy like that plays, and you can. And you could do that job for the team and still be screwing them up. I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't know how you younger Mets fans, um, uh, feel about some of the mentors in the '86 Mets <laughs> locker room, but, um, you you need that guy that can organize a a, a team, and, and so you're saying for now though, right? Yeah, for like, for now, I, like, I think I you don't want to you don't want to sign him, uh, resign him, right? No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I, I'm more so thinking about the next two years of having stability at that position and being able to just concentrate on going out because we've suffered from not having like the last couple years from not having a backup point guard. It was like it was right. something that the Nets couldn't hit on at all. <laughs> right. uh, just the guy who comes off the bench when things might be a little shaky, a little off or or whatever, who's going to play competent defense and especially, but especially be better than some of these backup or, or, or second 
you know, group of players that come in on these teams, off these teams' bench for 82 games. You, you can focus now on getting another, like, I, I like to say Rick Brunson. Yeah, well, you know, Spencer allows you to I mean, draft the point Brunson, excuse me. Spencer allows you to draft a point guard and bring them along properly. That too. You know, like, we just spoke about this, right? Like, we don't want to, particularly like in the 20s, late teens, you don't want to draft these guys and be like, here's the fucking keys to an NBA team. It's not good for their development. So what you, what you want is Spencer to be the guy now, right, that, that holds the fort down. And he's going to be annoying. He's going to take bad shots. But he'll have some big games. You know, he'll, he'll keep your floor from bottoming out at the position. And it, It's know. also – but from, I, I think it's a mistake if your plan is to start him for, for any period of time. Where, well, where who are you going to start, though? Where where you I, I, they've got to go into the market and find their version of Jalen Brunson. Okay, so but Eves, that's that's totally like fine. Like I I agree. Like if, if they go get a guy that they think is going to be Brunson, then with one year left on his contract, Dinwiddie's either going in that that trade or in a separate trade. And then I, I, I still draft my back. We have a lot of draft capital. We have a lot of, like, I think, I think a Royce O'Neal on the market for these fringy teams has value. Sure. I, so I think. Special would too. No, no, I, I don't, I don't doubt that. But I just think that the opportunity is to have Spencer is to have some continuity with Spencer, have Spencer come off the bench, and you could get a guy who's going to be one, two, three, four in deep and and six man of the year type of voting. But for what? If you're not going to resign him, you're not winning the title this year. Yeah. What's the point? I, I I don't think that's the way you build teams. Is is on if you're going to win the title. You you build teams on b- trying to incrementally get better every right, but year. You, and you, you said you don't want to do that. You, you said you don't want to do resign. that is with continuity. But you said it's, you don't want to resign him. I, I not resign him to what he's getting now. He's that, not. Gonna that's what he's that. gonna get. Nah. <laughs> I, I, like so, because like my thing is like, let's say we go out and we get Tyus Jones, right? And that's gonna be our starting point guard moving forward, right? Right. Now I. Right, so we'd all be excited about that. Spencer now becomes my backup, and yeah, for this year's team, that is good. But then we're gonna we'll be doing the exact same thing we just did with him, of letting that asset walk out the door for nothing, for maybe like an extra win in a playoff series. So like he either to me like if he's not gonna be the starter this year, then I want then just like let him. Let's but, get get something to, back for him. But to, uh, to me, this is my thing with Spencer. I don't really think it matters if he's a starter or not. I don't really see what they like. Like, I think Spencer is a. I think he does a lot of things that are that actually go under the radar. Like, I think his motor of constantly going to the rim really does keep defenses on edge. And I think that he actually brings a lot to the table, even more than what the numbers say. Even if he's like, like, I, I also think he's a better shooter than what he showed with the Nets. And I appreciate that he, you know changed his role and was more of a distributor and whatnot. But like we all saw that he's not a gifted passer and he doesn't have a gifted no. touch. And if he's, his assists are empty. 
Yeah, right. He, if you're as ball dominant as he is, you're going to get assists. So to me, like, I don't really see the point of having him on the team in part because I don't really see why you'd want to sign him back. He just turned 30. He's um, what you call it. He's obviously had a, a lot of lower, lower le- leg injuries. Uh, I, I mean, I know he keeps himself in insane shape, but nonetheless, like he, the other thing to me about him, which I think goes under the radar in a negative way is on top of the fact that he clearly has a prickly personality, as we saw what a disaster it was in, in D in DC. Um, he, I think his constant moping on the floor and all that stuff, I think it does kind of suck the life out of the team to a certain extent. Like I think you watch him and when he's on the floor in a way that I think is similar and at times like, way actually more I have have way less respect for it than like you know Ben struggling through what he struggled through which was an injury like Spencer to me like the not getting back on D the thinking that like I mean talk about a dude who has a massive chip on his shoulder and that he's an asshole and that but but it's also that like this chip on his shoulder that he doesn't get the calls and I, I think he does get hacked but he doesn't get the calls that a superstar gets and he never will and that hasn't kind of ever gone through his head before and I do think it sucks the life out of a team. And I think for as much as he claims to be a team first guy, I think at the end of the day, he is someone who internally is like thinking, I'm this amazing story. I got to where I got because of me putting in all this work and no one's looking out for me except for me. And so I just c- kind of find the team first thing that he says in a lot of press interviews, because he is, as Eva says, he's incredibly smart. And he's great with the media and he's a great interview, but I do think he kind of puts a spell on people in, in thinking that he's someone that he's not like, this isn't like a Steph Curry, Mr. Unselfishness. I'm willing to do whatever the team needs. Uh, Um, I just, just from my perspective, not to cut you off, Sam, I want to directly challenge that. I, I, I think, I think we can't that like, that's, I, I want, I want productive, um, Spencer Dinwiddie. I want the starting off guard of a Western Conference Finals team that that it, you know they that would that had a re- respectable uh, Western Conference Final. You know, I I think I think that that's what we should care about. He's he's been he's been an effective player uh, when he got outside the Washington debacle. Which continues to be a debacle. Yep. Um, um, he's been an effective player, and and teams need effective players. I think the Nets could be a team that has above average players going deep into their roster, while also being able to 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 bring in some talented rookies because they have draft picks in a, in a and they have players they could trade. In a in a year that there's some incredible um athletes in the draft, so you know I, I it, it, the only point that I'm addressing is is really is the part that that we should I I don't care about the feeling stuff I don't want to try to try to figure out how how I can't measure that like I it's hard for me to to really you know quantify you can feel it Eve. Right, you felt it with Kyrie and shit. You feel it. No, no. I mean, there was a lot of actions. There was like Kyrie put his narcissism on display. 
He, it, it, I didn't have to guess. He would go live, and and you could see him. <laughs> you could see a, a person that is just getting off on the comment sections of of like of like people who were just in love with him and would support him, you know, through thick and thin, and 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 so just imagine having that personality inside your locker room. Um. Uh, that's hard. That's hard to pull, you know, eight people together and and do something very hard, <laughs> something very difficult together. And I I I've seen Dinwiddie do it very recently. So I I I just feel like let's see if that could be something for us. And if it is, you're either if it isn't, you're trading him at the deadline. <laughs> if it if it is. If you see the beginnings of 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 something special and someone who's being a, a leadership type of vet, you start negotiating now. Not when he's about to hit the open market. You start. <laughs> you don't tell him to go find his own deal. You start negotiating now at a at a number that's comfortable for him being an older point guard and giving him stability of a home and 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 continuity with the team that he's been playing with for since he was 22 you you let that you let that you cash that equity in and and you do a deal that's sensible before long before he hits the open market and somebody offers him something retarded you know that that doesn't like like what washington did and it wasn't good for him and it wouldn't have been good for the nets to 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 have signed him at that number at that time so now all, having that behind you, bring him to the table and say, this is your home. Things are looking good. We're built. We're on to something. Or if he's not a part of something that that is equaling that, that's equaling promise, because you can't say, oh, this team is going to come out the gates and just blow everybody away. We, we don't know that. There's no reason to believe that um, that there is going to be some getting to know you time um you know early on in the season so so that being said he should be a calming presence he should be able to make you know be someone who helps stir the pot and 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 make this gumbo work together yeah for now accountable for that but he's the he's him and dfs are the only two people that could play that role the rest of these people are they, they, that's not what they don't do. That's I, not who they are. On I, I, I think, I think these guys will probably tune Spencer out by midseason, to be honest with you. But because he's <laughs> I mean, annoying, I, he's I, annoying. I, think you're, I think you're using your personal perspective of 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 Spencer because he is a know-it-all. I, I could see why people he's not that people good. don't like me for that. I, I, I understand why he's 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 um you know he like why he gets on your nerves. It's just, it's just, we need to separate that from production. No, Can no, we don't. On the court, you can't build camaraderie if people don't respect you and they're sick of you. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, look, I think he, I, I just look, I, I think at the end of the day, our conversations about Dinwiddie and Claxton all, all revolve around what a future episode. Uh, episodes that we're going to do which is about you know mock off season what should the nets do and as you can tell based off of kind of where we all stand he thinks that they're still 
um, a level of contender in this squad with a couple of really shrewd moves, which I don't necessarily disagree with, which, which is why he doesn't want to see, you know, actual talent leave the roster. And Bam and I are obviously a bit more skeptical. So we're kind of like, can we get out while we're ahead on some of these guys who are coming off uh, really good seasons? I, I think maybe there's a happy medium. Maybe there isn't. I don't really, I, I'm not totally sure, but we'll we'll obviously see based off of you know the next i mean i think a lot of nets fans can't wait at this point for the playoffs to be over so that 100% the rumor mill can actually really start and instead and instead of getting you know combine updates about how how long someone's wingspan is we can actually hear about uh player movement which it seems like given that there's actually hype around this draft and that there's a lot of teams that could go in a little in a lot of different directions that have early picks in the draft. We may know what the direction is of the entire offseason very early on. I mean, look, it, it could be the type of thing where all the teams that are high in the draft decide to keep their picks, and maybe that signals that there's not going to be that much movement. But it obviously it all remains to be seen, and the Nets are a fixture in that. I, I, personally, just giving a uh, a bit of a not even what I would do, but just my prediction. I think given the way that the Nets are pushing bridges every single where every single place they go, whether that's in advertisements, whether that's him at Liberty Games, whether that's him attending events with Joe and Clara Sai, like it's clear that the Nets are going in a direction that has him. And if I and if it has him, I'm assuming it has Cam Johnson. And so I think I don't think the roster is going to be as different as what people want them to be, whether that's for them tanking or for them becoming awesome. But my, my final comment would be. You're right. The Nets are they're going to bring Cam Johnson back, to, and they're gonna, and, and they have Bridges. The Nets have their wings for the foreseeable future. Everything else is up for grabs, and every player and every asset should be on the line to improve those spots around them. I'm center I'm, point guard. I'm gonna I'm gonna refute that and and say the most the most like. I, the thing that made me so optimistic listening to Spencer Dinwiddie vocalize, say, say, understanding that it might sound far-fetched right this second, but hearing Spencer Dinwiddie explain why the Nets could be competitive quickly, not based off of, oh, if this guy develops or if this guy comes back from, uh, you know, uh, tearing both of his Achilles or or something like that, something that is a serious injury that does clinically um, proven, clinically documented, takes 18 months for you to fully recover from, that you could get back what Ben Simmons was and add that to this group, I loved hearing hearings that someone who's a part of that organization vocalize what could happen and then and then properly put it in the right in the right you know variable. It's an injury. You never know with an injury. It could it could go bad. But if so that's it goes what this right, is all about. It, <laughs> it always comes <laughs> back to bad. If because imagine what you have. If you have the dude, re- remember how it, this is so incredibly uh, gaslighting in a, in a way because 
me and Bam, Sam, you weren't a part of it then, but me and Bam used to have mile-long threads on on me defending Karis LeBert against Ben Simmons. And he's basically saying to me, I don't care if he can shoot. He does every fucking thing else, you moron. And that's and to be arguing it the other way now just shows to me, to, to me, like I, I was wrong in that argument with, with, with Ben. That Karis LeVert is nowhere near the, the phenom that Ben Simmons is. And if you get that guy back, and it's, it's not going to take voodoo, it's not going to take magic. The statistics are 78.6% of the time by the second season, the athlete comes back the, to the same person that he was or better, depending on age, or better uh, in that second season. So if we get that guy back and having what we already have, it was great to hit Spencer. Ah. You're brilliant, my dude. You 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 got it. It's the only part that Spencer got wrong is that maybe he's not the point, the starting point guard, and we bring somebody in. I, I do have to say, and I I know that this opens up a whole other can of worms, but I have to say it anyway because we're about to have a long weekend and whatever. It I promise is... I won't argue. No, 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 no. You no, you, you totally, you totally can because I think we're all in agreement on this. It it is a bummer that. Given that, you know, the 2019 Nets that Sean Marks created is gone, and given that the KD, Kyrie, Harden era Nets is gone, it's it's a bummer that, and I'm someone who defends Marks probably more than anybody in the whole Podthorn extended family, it to me is a bummer that they don't have a new set of eyes to guide this next step, because it's, because look, like, Marks obviously, like any human being, has a lot of, uh, uh, you know, feelings about the guys that he's traded for and has his own ego and has his own pride. And it would be nice for someone to step into this roster with the amount of picks they have and with the personnel and with the coaching staff and just say, okay, blank slate, what do we actually have here? As opposed to, you know, when Sean Marks looks at Bridges, he doesn't just see Mikel Bridges the asset he sees Mikel Bridges oh this is the guy that I got from for KD and KD was the guy who did x y and z for the franchise and it I, I don't know it just it just is a bummer to me that we don't have a, a fresh head of eyes to guide this summer and as a and, and instead we have a guy who has a lot of scar tissue with every single member of this team moving forward yeah I I oh man <laughs> you did open a can of worms. Um, <laughs> this is important because this will be ultimately what, because the, the results will say if they were right or if they were wrong. But the opportunity was there to have I made Udoka. And now that we've seen this Boston um, Eastern Conference final where they don't look, they're, they, they've made it respectable. They got these two wins. Shit they're good enough to come back and make history how uh, especially with um the heat losing players um but the the idea here the idea here is you could have had the guy that crafted the defense that took that team to the finals with a bunch of long athletes the like they the physical profiles are very similar the players are very different don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we're as talented as them. We're not. 
but I'm just talking about the physical profiles and the and the and you have two oh, proven all NBA defensive um, players on one in one lineup. You have a third one that's a burgeoning one that that could you can see potentially could could be that, and you could have had Ime Udoka coaching them into the future, which. Like I said, you see the value of him in what had what the Boston Celtics have become, which is if I don't outscore you, I can't beat you. I, I, it's 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 a it's a blown opportunity. I, I I'd like to hear what you think, man. I'm gonna be honest. I was reading an email for work. <laughs> it didn't casual out what you just said there. <laughs> so I, I really don't have anything to add, man. No. Um, Spencer to me is is a stopgap guy, and if they upgrade the position, I would be looking to ship him out as soon as I can. That that's my. You, we, we, we were talking about something completely different. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I was reading an email for work, and I was just about to say, guys, I got a jet, so. <laughs> that's where I'm at. I got. I have nothing intelligent to add to what you said. Yeah. Same. Same. Anyway, that I it. I I'd love to hear from people. Whatever you who said was wrong. Though, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> we were just so. talking about the blown opportunity to hire someone like I'm in. Oh God, I, I I've cleaned up more spilled milk in the last few years. So let let's just think forward. This was a good episode. I think what we're going to do next, right, is those mock-off seasons. We'll, we'll each take an episode. Um, and I actually had an interesting idea. So let's say it was my episode first. I pitch my off-season, no interruptions, and then when I'm done, I hop off the line. So I can't interject and say, well, yeah, but this, this, and that. And then I listen to your rebuttals off the air. I like it. it. Okay. <laughs> Let's have a good holiday weekend. We'll touch base uh, early next week. Enjoy, guys. All right. Peace, guys. Stay safe.